Joining me in the studio, two gentlemen who I always look forward to having in because they are very thought-provoking, and I always leave on Wednesday morning uh, with a sore head. Uh, not angry, but my head hurts because I've had to think a lot to keep up to these two guys. Robert Metz and Jess Schlemmer are with us for Left, Right, and Center. Welcome, guys. Morning, Jim. Thanks. Um, as we usually do when they're here, almost always do when they're here, we're going to take a look at one of the issues of the day and, and from, shall we say, slightly differing philosophical viewpoints. Uh, these two gentlemen do agree from time to time, and I think that's what makes the program particularly interesting to me. They don't always disagree with each other, but they generally have slightly different take on the issues of the day. And the one they want to talk about this morning is a story from earlier in the week, uh, but it's an ongoing story. It is about the so-called spare change that Mr. Martin has. Uh, this year, as you probably know, the federal government is going to show a surplus. That means that they've taken more money out of our pockets than they've managed to spend. And let's not kid ourselves, that's exactly what's happened. They've taken more money out of our pockets through taxes than they've had to spend. So they've got some, quote, spare money, extra money, uh, uh, dividend money. It depends on how you, who you talk to as to how they refer to it. The argument now in Ottawa is what should happen with this money? And not just this year, but next year and the year after, too, because it looks as though they are going to continue to run these surpluses. They are going to continue to take more money out of your pocket and mine than they need. What happens to the extra money? We talked about it at some length earlier in the week, but I'm very interested to find out from our two protagonists today what their thoughts are. And Jeff Schlemmer, uh, we could easily be talking, we are talking billions and could be talking significant numbers of billions over the next two and three years. This is money that came directly out of your pocket, my pocket, Bob's pocket. Where should that money go now? Well, the money should stay with us, and the way that it should stay with us is by uh, continuing uh, social programs and continuing infrastructure and all the things that they've taken away. And what's happened is that there's been an adjustment over the last several years because there was a huge deficit, over $40 billion a year, when the Liberals uh, took office. They have gotten rid of that, but, but they've done it by way of sleight of hand in many ways. They've cut a lot of transfer payments that a lot of people probably didn't even know existed. But they've also raised our taxes significantly, too. Well, they haven't raised personal income tax since they were elected. Well, they they, CPP premiums. but they've raised the, uh, um, uh, oh, what's the ones, uh, Bob, help me with this, the workplace taxes. What do they call those? Employer. Employer. Uh, well, yeah. UIC. Uh, well, yeah, uh, the Canada Canada pension. pension. There's, a, there's a phrase, anyway, whatever the phrase, there's a phrase for all of that. They've raised all of that. They're getting $23 billion more in, in 97 and 98 from, from direct taxes, if not income taxes, but other direct taxes from Canadians. So well, I agree with you. It has been a sleight of hand, but $23 billion out of our pockets, that's the money that they're playing with. Well, but again, Jeff, what, Jeff, Jeff, you just pulled a sleight of hand on us, too. You just said that you, the money should stay with us through the social programs, well, what you're really saying is the money should stay in the government's hands, not in our hands. Hey, it's my government. It's, well, it's, and when I go into a hospital, I want a doctor to be there. I don't want to have the Toronto situation where they can't find surgeons and people have to wait around for five or six days to get their feet up, amp, uh, operated on. And you look at all the what different What are you areas. talking about, Jeff? That's what we've got now under the system we've got now. Well, that's right. What I'm saying is that they've adjusted their spending based on trying to cut the deficit. What they've done is that they've over-adjusted now to the point where we're seeing some return. And by the way, the increase in taxation that you talk about is because of prosperity. It's because of increased revenue um, from, uh, because our economy is now larger than it's ever been. It's not that they've raised percentages of taxes, but we're in the middle of a... Oh, no, economy. no, sir. No, sir. No, well, sir. I beg taxes. to differ. They indeed have raised taxes. The Liberal government has not raised income, personal income tax. Not personal income tax, no. but I said all the other employer taxes, yeah, no, I agree. all of that stuff has gone up. Yeah. I mean, it's the same, ultimate, it's the same as income tax. It's all our money. It's all coming out of your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, for mind of it, what concerns me is that uh, as much as I like to rail against the Mike Harris government, for instance, a lot of the things that they have done is because they have had 
transfer cut payments from the federal government. They've had to make cuts. An area that I'm familiar with, for instance, is uh, the justice system. And there was a time when the federal government paid for half of it. They paid for half of the courts, they paid for half of legal aid and everything else. They decided uh, back in about 1992 to stop doing that. So we're not going to do that anymore. We're only going to pay for 20% of it. And, and it goes down each year. So what we've seen is that we've now got the Chief Justice saying our, our justice system is in bad, bad shape. There are huge problems here because we're being underfunded. And again, as much as I like to blame my cares for that, the blame can in many ways go back to the federal government. And they've done a, a great PR job in taking credit for cutting $40 billion in spending, but we don't notice uh, what it is we're not getting with that $40 billion. And from my perspective, I'm not saying go back and start spending $40 billion more than we're making again, but I'm saying if we're breaking even right now, people can basically get by the way they are. And I say, bear in mind, we're in the middle of a boom economy, although most folks wouldn't know it. But in that context, it's not inappropriate for us to start funding things. Look at air traffic controllers. We saw that graphic example in Fredericton a few uh, couple of months ago there where we didn't notice they've gotten rid of most of the air traffic controllers that are gone in, in funding cuts. Uh, in but that Fred wasn't the cause of that accident, though. They made that pretty clear. That was not the cause of the accident, that it wasn't an air traffic controller. Well, there. they said if it had been 15 minutes later, there would have been no uh, no emergency crews on duty. They all just go home for the night. It's just astounding to but me. that Fredericton, we're for heaven's sake. <laughs> <Yeah, and if laughs> I'm not expecting want to... any more flights. When no I reason fly I want to know there's fire trucks on the ground if I need them. <laughs> but Bob, uh, I'm guessing just from your comments in passing here that you disagree with Jeff. That's not where you think the money should go. Well, Jeff begins with this assumption that t tax money is, quote, our money, the money that, that when it's still in our pockets, it somehow belongs to all of us collectively. And when, and when you're thinking like that, I don't know how anything after that point can possibly make any sense anymore. But... Uh, you know, when we talk about the government having a surplus, we have to look at what that actually means. I need a definition of what that means when, when we're talking about it in government terms. To me, when a government has a surplus, that means it's taking in more money after it has covered its cost of its social programs, after it has covered its debt servicing, after it has met all its payroll and salary obligations and welfare payments, that that money is left over af after all of those other obligations have been met. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a surplus. Mm -hmm. So that surplus, the only thing you should be doing with it is reducing taxes, because that's the ultimate aim of any sort of cutting or anything. If we don't see the benefit of, if, if we only see the bad parts and we never get the benefit part, we will never cure the problem that we have in this country. So is what you're saying then that because the, 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 the surplus is there because we have kind of tightened our belts? But all we've seen, well, no, are, all we've seen thus far are kind of negatives from that, and now it's time to get some of the positives. Well, in terms of if, if there's any positive to be gotten by this, the problem is, as you say, there, we've gotten a surplus by simply raising taxes with with some cuts in spending, but not anything significant. And the long term, again, is we have to get back to cuts in spending. Government spending has to drop like a rock. I think something like less yeah. than one percent of actual program spending, one percent reduction, has been a very minimal. It's minuscule, yes, but you, but every little step of the way you're going to have all the interest groups and special groups that are getting that funding who are having it cut to them they're going to complain very loud and but what clear. about jeff's point though here here we are the reality is whoever is responsible whether it's harris or martin whoever it is the the reality is that there are people waiting to get in a hospital and there's nobody there to look after them well yes there is and that's a reality that one will discover in any country that practices free socialized medicine and if you don't allow a free market in medicine and hope open up hospitals and have private health care and and all the other alternatives that have to be brought into existence before government can cut back in those areas. But before they started cutting the funding back, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you went to the hospital, generally, you got the, the treatment you needed when you needed it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's because we were still charging up the credit card and we were spending in a deficit situation, just like you can get your TV set as long as you got credit on your visa. And when that runs out, you can't buy another TV. This is Left, Right, and Center on Talk of the Town with Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz, and we'll return right after this. We're coming from different perspectives here, but here's the situation. We have today's level of taxation, which we're going to call X. Um, Jeff, your contention is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that since we do, we've got X in place, and we've also apparently got some money that's not spoken for right now, that we should take that money and put it somewhere where it's going to be useful. Um, Bob, your contention is, I believe, that, okay, we've got that extra money, and what that proves is that we can move X lower. Am I correct in that? Essentially. Okay, so we move, let's say we move X down to Y, which is lower, and that's the point at which next year there's no surplus at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jeff, where are we then? Are we in a bad position then? Well, we're, we're borrowing against our future effectively, it seems to me, because we're seeing uh, infrastructure wearing down. We're seeing, uh, again, the situation with the hospitals. We're seeing education. They say in, in, in my case, I've got two uh, teenagers, and I see the cost of education just shooting upwards every year. Mm -hmm. So we're changing things fairly significantly if we do that. Uh, but if you've got more money in your pocket because the taxes have been come down, don't you have more flexibility to meet those challenges? Well, again, it's a question of targeting it and a question of who taxes are going to go down for and, and how you do it. Now, I, I'm not sure what Preston Manning is, is talking about across the board. I've always understood they t they believed in a an across-the-board tax cut. If you do that, what it means is, again, that people who make the most money see the greatest tax yeah, savings. But again, there's not that many of them. Uh, but the ones who are there, well, when you say that, it's interesting. There was a, a report from Ernst & Young that came out about two months ago where they said that since the last boom started in 1994, the number of millionaires in Canada has tripled. And when you think about the 80s, and I thought the 80s were the hot times, that's when everybody was doing really well. You think we've got three times more millionaires now than we had then. Uh, there's there's a, an increasing number of them. And you look at the amount of increase, uh, I, I think from my end of it, the difficulty is that if we look at an across-the-board tax cut, then those are the guys who will profit most, and those are the guys who are already profiting but most. But if you have 10,000 millionaires, 10,000 people with a million bucks, and that's a lot. I don't know if there's that many in Canada. That's still only $10 billion. That's I'll take it. It's chicken I'll feed. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, in context of the, of the federal uh, budget and so on, it's still chicken It's not chicken yours feed. to take, Jeff. I, I find it offensive <laughs> well, that he just sits there and the goes, I'll place. take it. It's somebody else's money, but I'll take it. You know, they take and it that's the, the mentality, place. isn't That's it? the problem. And, uh, now, but having said that, I think that Preston Manning has done something very astute, and that is that he's talking about tax relief for poor people. And so that gets me thinking. It's like, oh, well, that sounds like uh, you know, a good idea. Let me, let me put this to both of you, because this is my pet theory on it. I believe that the uh, and I'm I believe that the money should go to tax reduction and here's why I'm concerned about that baseline X I'm concerned that we are now in good times and I understand that and uh, the government is making more taking in more money than it needs and I understand that and it has the option to do this and this and this and I understand that what I'm what frightens me deeply is that if we do not make some changes now to that X line that what is going to happen is when we, when we hit that next trough, when we get down in that next trough, and a lot of this surplus has gone to make work projects, let's not kid ourselves, it's what a lot of it is, drive down to York, York Street and look at that convention center down there, it's one of the biggest make work projects in this, in this city, and it cost us $30 million of provincial and federal money. Infrastructure, quote, infrastructure money. That's how the government deals with infrastructure. That's what scares me. I, if, if, we knew, if we knew it was all going to stuff, we really need it, I'd feel better, but yeah. I'm not confident. So... My concern is that we, we hit this next trough. What's the surpluses we have have, been, have gone, some to good things, but some are going to go to more convention centers. Sure. We know that. Some are going to go to, quote, job creation that is not job creation. It's thinly disguised welfare. 
my concern is we then hit the other side. We're down in the bottom of the trough, and the government comes to and says, you know, we need more money than we're bringing in now. We've got to have more money to do this, 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 and this. So we've got to raise your taxes. Where do we raise the taxes from? From our baseline X, which was a high tax rate in good times. We're still at the high tax rate in bad times. There's no incentive. There's no pressure on the government not to do it. If they need the money, they've got to raise the taxes. I'd feel a lot more comfortable if during the good times, they did bring us back down. And when the bad times come, if we have to deal with them, we have to deal with them. Now, I know the, the counter-argument is, well, you don't want to increase taxes in bad times. Better to borrow again than to increase taxes. Well, the, I, I, would, I would say that... What? The, well, yes. really? Because the bottom line of what a government taxes you has nothing to do with what it borrows or taxes. It has, or it has to do with what it spends. If you want to know how much Ottawa is taxing you or how much Queen Park in, 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 in Toronto is taxing you or how much your local... Uh, municipal council is taxing you, all you got to look at is how much they're spending. That's the tax line. Whether you pay that today or tomorrow is less relevant than the fact that you're going to have to pay it at some but point in time. The, the problem with borrowing money is that you have to pay interest on it and that ends up eating up a good chunk of your uh, of the money you've got available to spend. Yes, and it's also a wonderful incentive to to make borrowing a last resort and that's yeah. the purpose of interest one of one of its purposes and i certainly would like to see some kind of control on government like that and that's the only one i can think of it works on people it should work on government there so. is an argument though there's an economic argument that if you borrow the government borrows money that that uh, as long as it does pay the interest that the debt is unimportant the debt doesn't matter as long as you are paying the interest and can afford to pay the interest. Now, I mean, obviously that wouldn't work if you had a, dread of, a debt of a zillion trillion dollars because your creditors are not going to allow you to go there. But within the context of what your creditors are comfortable with, that your def debt level really does not matter. Because as long as you can service the debt, that's the only thing that's going to affect your tax rate. And it's the only thing that's going to affect the ability of the government to deliver services. What's wrong with that theory, Bob? Or is there anything wrong with it? Well, it, it assumes that you can go on forever and ever with the debt and just never even think about paying it off. And but, just you leave it there. but well, you can't. No, you can't. Because that Because that debt does have an effect on us, and it has an effect on the way government has to spend its money and, and on interest rates, for example. Um, you know, for, like, like right now, if they lowered taxes because of their so-called surplus and they lowered taxes, we would all be at that lower level, as you say. Of, of, we'd be at a lower rate so that if they did increase it in the future, it would be less of an increase, supposedly. But that's not really the case. The case is the government will increase taxes. The rate is irrelevant. They're going to increase it to the level that they spend, period. That's the bottom line. You know, when I was in accounting course, I was just astounded at how governments determine things like mill rates and, and taxation rates. They reverse the whole order of, of natural order of economics and laws of anything you can think of, and they start with the spending, and they say, well, here's what we do. We're going to spend this for this, and then divide it equally by X number of people, and that's what taxes are based on. Now, the problem is they're spending more on, in government than they can get elected with, for example, if they really had to tax us mm -hmm. for the amount they spent. We wouldn't elect them. So they put that into debt, and that debt is the taxes of your kids and, and their kids. And so, wow, all this big free, free uh, medicine, free health care, education, everything, this is all going to be paid for by our kids. And what, they're, they're getting a little peeved right now. What about the argument, though? There's a counter-argument to that, and that is every dollar that is spent on a service for which you do not pay tax is a dollar that you keep in your pocket. So, yeah, your kids are going to have to pay that debt in the future, but they've also got the dollar in, their, in your pocket, in their pocket now. And I've seen calculations that say that that, that offset, because the dollar... Now, what dollar are you talking about? No, the dollar from the surplus or the dollar from the debt? Well, the dollar from the debt. Dollar from the debt. But let, let, hear me out here. Because the, the, 
a very interesting article I read a couple months ago, and a fellow said, okay, look at it this way. You've got a dollar here that the government's either going to take to pay for a service or they're going to let you keep. They can borrow the dollar or they can take it from you. So what the governments traditionally have done in this country is they have borrowed the dollar. I mean, they've taken some, but for the sake of argument... If that's their, the only okay, choice okay. we're given. So they borrow, they borrow the dollar, they let you keep the other dollar. The theory postulated in this argument was, in this article, was that that dollar that you kept, because the, the private, private enterprise, private industry of individuals and companies and so on and so on, is more effective at creating new wealth than government is, that that dollar will generate more returns I'll than, go you than, one better. than you will pay on interest for the dollar that you borrow. And his premise was that until you reached the level where your creditors were uncomfortable, it didn't matter how much you owed, as long as all you had to pay was the interest. Because if you made more money with the money that you didn't spend, the money that you borrowed, if you made more money with the money you kept, you were ahead of the game. So you know, that, that argument... Stimulate the economy. That argument makes brilliant sense if you were talking from the identity or point of view of one personal investor who was looking at his personal portfolio and looking at his debt and looking at his investment and looking at what he could do with the money. Government is not a business. Government is not an investor. Government is an agency of force that takes the money out of our pockets whether we consent to it or not, because they set the agenda. We don't. As, as fictional as democracy sounds, that just isn't the way it's done. But largely we do so consent, otherwise we'd have a to revolution. To apply that argument to, to an entity that has a right to tax us, you know, like it's nothing that I'm going to do in my life that's going to cause my taxes to go up. Somebody else is making that decision in my life. And that reduces my choices in my life, my ability to control my own uh, welfare. Because the government's controlling welfare. It wants to because that way it controls its people. But it seems to me we're coming back to a question of well, spending we would agree on and spending we don't agree on. If it's spending we agree on, that is that we like to have a hospital in town, that, you know, sure, they've taken money out of my pocket. Who do you know that disagrees with, ho with hospitals? Who I don't disagrees mind. with hospitals? How, well, why would you that's what I mean. That? That's what I'm saying is that you so, can't say that every dollar they take away from you is pried out of you and you've got no choice and blah, blah, blah. That gives you the choice of going to a hospital, which is a choice you wouldn't have if they hadn't taken the money and built the hospital in the first place. Why do you think that? How do you think people went in the hospital before socialized medicine came around? You think doctors didn't want to make money? You think hospitals didn't have a service? So all you're saying you is that some private enterprise, you'd pay them to build the hospital instead of having government build it. The fact is, you need a hospital, so the fact that government build a hospital doesn't well, you wind need me food. up. Does that mean we should have the governments paying for our, for our lunches and dinners and breakfasts well, and again, suppers? Why not, Jeff? So that's like, much more immediate what you seem and to be more urgent and more important than medical care. That the things that government buys that we don't like are the things that we have an issue with. The things that they buy. I like that we all like. these things. I like food. I like hospitals. You're going like to pay them, or you're going to pay somebody else. And you may argue that uh, you pay less if you're paying somebody else, but you still want that hospital. It seems to me the other thing that has to happen, though, is that they need to be looking at the tax system yeah, and yeah, you're, you're not it addressing right the point. Why can't I have a choice? I mean, you're the guy sitting here telling me that yeah, we need hospitals, but by gosh, you're only going to get this one choice. The government's going to pay for it, and you're going to pay for it through your taxes, and that's it. Don't ask any more questions. Where did, where did you become? That's how we decide to run the place. Well, and collectively, we can change it I'm if we want. I'm asking you for your opinion. You think that's right? It doesn't bother has it, me. Has it, well. Why I doesn't happen to it? think there's economies of scale. I happen to think that it's not a bad idea for us to all work together to try and build things that are worthwhile, like hospitals. Well, do, you, do you think that either one of you think that the government is likely to be more efficient at providing these economies of scale than the private industry? 
In some places, I think they are. I think there are some things that uh, people don't want to do. I look at an example of what I do for a living, which is helping uh, poor people in legal matters. Most lawyers don't want to do that because it's not profitable enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, providing service to uh, medical service to indigents is not something that the American Medical uh, uh, Corporation is going to come rushing in to try and get the contract for. It's not that profitable. Uh, there are other things that should be. And if you want to talk about privatization, I'm not, I'm not wholesale opposed to privatization. I think often it's a good thing. But I think that uh, there are things that government spends money on that drive us crazy. And those ones are ones that we can agree on. But a lot of the stuff they, they spend money on is mundane, fixing roads and stuff like that. we got to get it one way or another. Okay. We have to pause for a moment. We'll be back to take your calls at 643-1290 on left, right, and center. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. And the lines are open. We've got Ivan with us. Good morning, Ivan. Hi, Jim. How yes, are you? Fine, thank you. That's great. Yeah. You know, Jim, as usual, a socialist is always wrong. For instance, he's, what's wrong with a millionaire? What's wrong with being a millionaire? I'd like to be one, and the reason I'm not one is because it's all my fault, Jim. And then he talks about the students. They have lots of money. When I was campaigning, Jim, That's and I would go to students where students were living, they had more empty beer cases than the hotels. <laughs> and here's something else, Jim. Mm-hmm. He's saying it's the federal fault uh, that... Uh, what Harris is doing? No, 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 Jim. It is the NDP's fault, Ray's fault. He borrowed a one hundred billion dollars, ten billion dollar deficit. I hope Jeff never. I hope when I open up another business, he doesn't come and apply for a job because I wouldn't hire him. But he'd probably take me to the Human Rights Commission. <laughs> I, I think it's terrible. Uh, uh, Bob, you, you and I are, are are good friends. How come you're so so good to him? I'll tell you, Jim. I'd like to be on that program with him, and I wouldn't be nice. I tell you something. It's a shame. What's what? what have him tell me what's wrong with being a millionaire. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with being a millionaire, Jeffrey? Uh, no, we should all be millionaires. Well, you were complaining. He said the millionaires are getting all that money. Well, they should get more tax money back. Well, they're certainly getting a lot more than they used to. Well, they should. They've got more money than you and I. And I guess where does it end? Should they have all the money? Should we go back to a if feudal system? If they can get system? all the money, yes, they should. We can have a few lords owning all the property, and we can all be serfs again. And you we can also try that said out. that you help poor people. Well, I know good lawyers. I think better than you are. <laughs> oh, no, Ivan, that's enough. No, no, no. no, no. Real good lo- no, that's, lawyers. No, that's enough of that, Ivan. Thank you for the call. I'm not going to put up with that. There's no need for that sort of comment at all. Okay, um, I need a lefty to call now and say something. Well, I want, Bob. No, I, I, I do want to address your comment about feudalism, though. Um, yeah, why does that keep coming up? Lords and serfs the, and all the, that the, nonsense. There's no parallel there. I mean, in, 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 in our situation, if all the money accrued to, to a small group of people, then that would be the ultimate result of the capitalist system. But all our experience tells us that that's not what what happens uh, and there's the old what's the the what do they call it the rule the rule of a generation and a half or well, I forget what they call it anywhere where you got a million dollars today your kids will have five hundred thousand and their kids will be right on the street like everybody else now it doesn't always happen but certainly that happens over and over and over same as reversion to the mean about intelligence you're br- you're brilliant uh, your kids are not quite as brilliant and your and their kids are right back to the norm with everybody else so I don't buy this argument that you know well the rich get richer and eventually it'll be just like it was in fe- the feudalism was all totally different well, I don't know It'll have to stop at some point, though. That it that it'll stop it itself. It's self-regulated. Well, I know, and, and and it seems to be, and it's because there is this middle class. There are people who say, you know, we don't want it to go that way. We're going to step in. We'll have elect governments who will make sure that doesn't happen or whatever. But if it was simply a um, uh, natural law, which such as uh, such as the law of the jungle, and say that you should take as much as you can possibly get out of 
our economy out of our country or whatever, that ultimately the end result is that the people who are the most effective at getting money together will have the money. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, first of all, the law of the jungle is not natural law. The law of the jungle is force. Animals devour and eat each other. Human beings trade. So our and corporations uh, eat each other. No, they don't. They they trade and they do business. That's the, that's the activity in which they are involved with. And when we're talking about devouring, eating, profits, losses, we're talking about money. We're talking about a measurement of success or failure. We're not talking about literal jungles and it's a lot more than a measurement of success these, or failure. These, these imaginary fairy tale pictures that left wingers need when you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, but but as such, it's exactly what it is. It's did did you succeed or fail at reaching the level you want to reach? Right. Yeah, but that means you get all the toys if you're good at it. And the question is, how you know much what they should say, you get? That is justice. That's how it should be. He who amasses the most toys still dies. That's true. So it's not just about toys. I think for a lot of people it is. And I, I don't I, think anybody that is really rich got into it to be rich. They got, in, they got rich because they love what they're doing. And I think if you looked at, uh, just picked a hundred millionaires, I bet you 98 of them would fall right into that category, and two of them might not, and those two would be the ones we'd use as an, our, our, our stereotype. All millionaires there. are great people. They're much better than the rest of us, and they deserve everything they've got. But at the end of the day, it's a question of how do we want our society to look? Do we want a society where we've got the the toys in our society, the, uh, the power society, you wanted everybody concentrated to be a in a small place, or do we want it spread out in a broad space? Realistically, nowadays, we have a system where we want it spread out fairly broadly. It's isn't not, it, but it's, isn't it spread out today? I ask both of you. It's spread, it's spread out pretty good now, isn't it, really? Well, oh, yeah. Jeff's talking about a millionaire with a million dollars. He wants to see that guy's money spread out. He, he's not talking about a general increase in the wealth of the nation. He's talking about a hey. decrease in the wealth of those few people who rise higher than some others. I'm the guy not suggesting I should take a tax cut. I'm the guy saying I should continue to contribute to my society. Okay, let's go back to the phones and see what Bob has to say. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Yeah. When Canada borrows money from a foreign source, do they borrow in the currency of that country or do they borrow in Canadian dollars? Now, their Canada right now is a very low price and their exchange risk is terrible. Well, I'd put that to uh, to Bob. I think he's probably the closest to being economist of the three of us. <laughs> how, did, how did they do that, that's Bob? A, that's an interesting question. I would never have looked at it from that point of view. I mean, when you borrow money abroad, you just have to take the currency exchange into account. You're not uh, um, borrowing... Well, you are borrowing foreign capital. I guess you're borrowing, in essence, the, the currency of the country from which you borrow. Um, I can't see it being any other way, at least in terms of the value of what you get. Now, mind you, you might borrow some money today, and tomorrow the currency exchange changes. But you're at risk. Oh, yeah. Because the well, you're, always at, you're always at risk. I know some time ago that the uh, province of Ontario bought 500 million marks, which at that time was 25 cents, which they got back 125 million. They realized 125 million Canadian. Two years later, that mark was up 50 cents. Yeah, but it's just, you have the same problem if you borrow Canadian dollars in Canada. If the interest rates go up, you're at, I mean, you're at risk. You're at risk any time you borrow money anywhere. You're at a certain amount of risk. Yeah, there's inflation. a risk of that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah appreciate the call, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And uh, David's with us. Hi, David. Hey, how you doing? Great, thank you. Well, I'm uh, your typical listener caught in the middle of this argument. <laughs> I mean... You know, you can see both sides of it. Meanwhile, both sides are jamming me right in the middle. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm serious. I just got my bonus check. This is my year-end bonus check, which makes up, you know, a sizable amount of my income. Right. Now, my bonus check, all right, it was for $12,000. I make approximately between sixty-five and seventy, seventy-three thousand dollars a year, sure. depending on the commissions, right? Yeah. It's all right. 
I get a bonus check for twelve thousand and ninety dollars mm-hmm. in my pocket after the taxes, yep. after the EI and the CPP. Yep. I've got four thousand three hundred and eighty-four dollars. Now, well, you helped us pay that, pay down our deficit, Dave. Hey, listen, listen, listen. When when I mean, I figured half, right? I figured, okay, I'm going to come through with six thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And I mean, if it was gross, I mean, really a terrible tax system, I would come through with maybe. Five thousand. Yeah. When you come through with forty three hundred dollars, uh, both the millionaires aren't paying their fair share, and and the left wingers are just into my pocket big time with their hands. Yeah, it's just craziness. I mean, that is absolutely craziness. Now, well, is any of that of the difference between twelve twelve ninety and four three twelve? Hey, whatever. Yeah, say forty four. Uh, if is is the any of that difference mm-hmm. uh, uh, deferred costs that you hadn't paid, like like back taxes or anything like that no. that they hadn't deducted? No. So you're, but you you can only be at a marginal tax rate of fifty two percent. Well, there you go. But you know what's happening because of the way the tax system works. They're going to turn around. Your company's going to say, oh, because of that size of a payment right off the bat, they're going to forward average it and mm-hmm. say, oh, you're going to be making this much. Yeah. So yeah. now they steal your money until you you got to do your taxes. Hopefully, do your RRSPs if you can find any money left over to do your RRSPs. Yeah. I'm getting jammed. I'm stuck in the middle with with both you two guys there in the studio. Well, well, David, so far I hear you complaining about taxes. So what's the good side of this thing? Like you, you've you've told us the bad side, and then on, in terms of you're paying too many taxes, and I'd agree with you. Now, what, where where is the side that you find yourself in the middle? Well, the side I find myself in the middle is this: I work with professionals. All right, I work with 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 doctors, and I'm seeing more and more and more people who are making, you know, let's say between 150 and 400, 500 thousand a year. I'm seeing more and more of these guys go offshore with their money. I see more of them into the Isle of Man, uh, sitting up in the Cayman Islands, and they're getting their money out of Canada, and they're, they're skirting the taxes, and it is all okay. Family trust, it's bull. It's absolute bull. Well, it's their money. Yeah, and it's our tax laws, and our tax laws, our Canadian government says it's okay for you to go to the Isle of Man, set up a bogus trust, well, not set up a bogus trust. The, the Revenue Revenue Canada, if they think it's a bogus trust, you don't get away with it. Well, no, that, that's the whole point. There, there is a loophole, right? Well, they encourage it. Right, and it's going to cost me a year's salary mm-hmm. to, to create a trust to get that loophole. But you know what the problem... So how do I do that? Okay, here's the problem, though, with, with stopping that, because obviously you could stop it tomorrow, right? You could just say you're not allowed to do that. But you can't say that to them without saying to you, well, we, we're not going to allow you to do what you want to do with your money, too. Now, I know your argument is I don't have much, but the principle is the same. No. You want to be able to do whatever you want to do with your 4384. Now, the, the principle is this, then. Here's my principle. My principle would be, fine, let's all kick in our flat tax. Give me my 23%, my 25%, my 28%, my 18%. Mm-hmm. Whatever we decide on, yeah. that's what everybody kicks in. It's progressive. It hurts you guys on the top, your millionaires that you're talking about. It helps the low end, as far as I'm concerned, in the middle. Yeah. And and it's fair. Now, why wouldn't you just simply do that? No, I I, I cannot give you a whole list of reasons against it because I'm I'm in, with some small concerns. I'm in favor of a, of a flat tax. Well, I I'm I'm a big supporter of a flat tax, although I don't think it should be progressive. I think it should be the same for everyone, but with an exemption level starting at the bottom for people up to a certain level. Yeah. There shouldn't be any taxes paid at all yeah. uh, in terms of income tax. But I, I get the impression from David that what really concerns him is that 
he thinks his country is treating him unequally and unfairly because somebody else is making a lot more money than he is and being able to keep a greater percentage of it or more of it, at least in his own perception, than he is. So he's, you know... Also the bottom end, though. The you, bottom end's getting treated far more fairly as well in terms of welfare. Yeah. Uh, not so much anymore in Ontario, although they're still the highest paid welfare recipients in Ontario. But the, the system was also skewed to the bottom end of the scale as well. So you what do you think the about top the... top feeders and the bottom feeders all into my pocket. What do you think about the, uh, Christian has announced that he plans to split any increase, half of it going to, uh, to uh, uh, infrastructure and social spending and half of it going to debt reduction and tax relief. Well, is, is he a smart guy or is that a, a dumb thing to do? Well, it's a, it's a typical liberal middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you're, but you're in the middle. To that. He's, he's speaking to you. Does break, it work? But the tax break isn't going to be for me. I think he's already said the tax break is going to be on the lower end of the tax bill. Well, starting there anyway. Yeah, well, let's start there and, and move up. You know, the one thing I look at, everybody keeps talking about our hospital system. Why is it that when we talk about reducing taxes for the, to start off with, right away it's got to come out of our emergency rooms, out of our hospitals? I call bull on that one, too. Yeah, I well, think it, there's it's, so it's, much fat. There are so many yeah. other programs. It's the same there. argument as we used to get at the city. Every time they talked about putting the tax, oh, they didn't do it this year. Well, we'll have to close the waiting pools, right? Well, well yeah. wait a minute. Two-thirds of all government spending is health care and education. I right. mean, how can you, how can you not avoid... Well, how can you avoid cutting I've got to, I've got to direct this one question here. We've spent now more money than we ever have in the province of Ontario. I think it's going up to $18.8 billion. We came in as a government, the new government came in, and, and I think the budget for health was 17.4, and now we're up to 18.8. Somebody tell me, where are the cutbacks? Yeah, very, very where good are question. The cutbacks? Yeah. When, when you've increased spending by $1.4 billion, real dollars, my dollars out of my pocket. Yep. David, I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Thank you. That is a very good question. We'll see if either of our uh, co either my co-hosts have an answer right after this. At Josh Lemmer and Bob Matz with me this morning on Left, Right, and Center. Uh, do either of you, I, well, I, you don't. I'm not going to pretend because we talked during the commercial. No, none of us really know what the answer is to that question because David is right. I'm not sure that his figures are exact. But the last report I saw said we were, in fact, spending, in absolute sense, dollars, dollars and cents, spending more than we did two years ago on health care. And yet we all have seen the results. We've seen the headlines and so on. Do either of you guys have any sense where this thing might be? I mean, we know we don't know where it's going to sense where it might be going. Well, you know, talking about cutbacks, he was asking where, 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 where are the cutbacks if we're really increasing spending? Well, the cutbacks are coming despite the increased spending in our expectations and in our entitlements. That's where the cutbacks are occurring in the actual delivery of service. You're going to find as time goes on that what the government will provide for you free will be more and more restricted and limited and more and more limited towards the end of, let us say, those life-threatening diseases. But why should that be if we, if we two, three, four years ago had uh, X level of services, now we're paying even more taxes, but we're going to go down again to use before we're going down to why? Because the, because the market has been destroyed to such a degree in health care that, that the money we pour into it is no longer doing its work. It's like having a drained battery. You know, it doesn't have any energy left, and you're, you're trying to charge it, and you keep putting it into this thing that is just draining the charge and isn't putting any resistance behind it so that you can get some work done. 
And that's the difference between a dollar that is spent voluntarily in a free market and a dollar that is spent coercively, even though it might be spent for a supposedly good purpose. But if you've got you a doctor can, or a nurse working for a corporation, uh, are they going to work a lot harder or, or less? They'll work a lot more efficiently if they are in a marketplace where they know there's another doctor and a nurse across the street competing with them and trying to get the same customers. But that doesn't exist in Canada, and therefore any solution that we might have economically to our system now cannot possibly occur until we, we bite the bullet and say, listen, we've got to have a free market in health care and we've got to allow people to pay their own way wherever it's feasible and only help those who can't help themselves. Let me ask you both of you a question about human nature here. Uh, my experience as health care workers that the ones who are efficient and are working efficiently and doing a good job are doing it from some inner sense that this is the appropriate thing to do. And, and we would all hope that everyone would have that. But mm -hmm. one of the predicates of the capitalist society is that's not the only thing to depend on, that there are also economic considerations. Would we, and Jeffrey, I'll ask you this. Uh, a, do you agree with what I just said, that the good people generally are good because they, they feel they should be? Well, yeah. And that's why I don't see if they're if they're privately employed how they're going to be more altruistic than they are now. Well, because you you, you you may be able to reach the people who aren't that altruistic. That's my point. They're, that's not everybody in healthcare. That's only some of them. Is there not a case to be made that if you if you then introduce the economic argument as well that well if you are more efficient if you do work more effectively if you do they take better care or more ex more expeditious care of your patients you're going to benefit financially. Isn't, isn't that a reasonable assumption to make, that well, those have, people are going to work harder? Well, we have that right now with OHIP, that, that uh, most GPs, for instance, are not on salaries. They're paid on a, on a piecework basis. But look at the, the more people look they at, ram through, the, the more they get. But look at the overworked nurses out there. I mean, it's not the case I, I, for them. You know, I, I look but again, uh, to look at the doctor example, just for a sec, that uh, in that case, we've got that situation where the, the more people they ram through, the more they get. And, and uh, from my perspective, it's not clear that that is more efficient. Maybe it is. I don't know. Well, Jeff, you were you were saying that you kind of implied the objective was to get doctors who are more altruistic. Don't you want doctors who can fix broken limbs and do surgery and and perform specific physical tasks? I don't care what motivates them. If he does his job well, that's what I want to have in the system. Well, I was agreeing. Kind of with, I was agreeing with Jim's point that the people who do the best jobs are the one who are motivated to do a good job for its own sake rather than for strictly financial reasons. But, but my point was that, that that's only some of them, though, so how do we get the other ones fired up? And, and my question is, is, is the financial incentive, which works in most other industries, why, why would we assume that it wouldn't work in this one? Because you, you asked the question, are you, are you saying they would work harder, they'd work better because they were in a private setting? My question is, well, or my, my comment is, yeah, I think they probably would. I think it comes back to human nature, though, and, there's, and you talk about the private setting, and you really have those two models, the one where you motivate people most highly by keeping them on very short-term contracts where they don't have job security, they have to you know, put out as much as they can each day knowing that they may be gone the next day, versus the, the other model, which is if you hire people and bring them in and give them a sense of security and long-term employment, blah, of the Japanese model, mm. that they'll be more happy and they'll be more loyal and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what the answer is to that. I, I personally tend to favor the latter one, but well, I don't I, know I, the answer. I don't think, I don't think in terms of, of efficiency that the latter one is necessarily any, any less efficient than the former, because what you gain in terms of cracking the whip over, the, you, you lose in terms of commitment to the job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I don't know. And, and I think you learn, uh, and we're starting to discover now that you're also losing on, a, on, a, on a, uh, a health basis, that those people tend to be more highly stressed, they tend to be absent from work more often and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're going to go back to the phones here. This is Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. And Jack's our next caller. Good morning, Jack. Yeah, hi. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Good. Listen, I've enjoyed listening to you. I just wanted to take up issue, though, with one uh, actually kind of a small offbeat comment that was made, I think, by Bob 
that said out of every hundred millionaires, two of them did it because they wanted to become rich. And I would argue that point uh, fairly vehemently. In fact, while you were speaking, I was reading an article on a gentleman named S.B. Fuller, and he was a, a black entrepreneur in the United States from uh, Louisiana who uh, uh, just decided that uh, at the time, back in the 30s, of the 4,043 millionaires in the United States, 3,954 of them had not finished high school. That included Andrew Carnegie at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he decided at that time, like them and like many of the people he had met, he wanted to become rich. So I just wanted to take exception that I don't know that two out of 100 uh, decide to become rich because they want to. Uh, I think the comment made was that, they, you know, they become millionaires because, you know, they enjoy doing something, and I, I don't I, know I, if it's quite... I'm not uh, sure if you got the meaning of my point, Jack. I, I, like, I mean, realistically, I, I think 100% of people would say they'd like to become rich. Yeah. They'd like to be millionaires. Jeff yeah. even said it. I mean, that does not make a millionaire. Having decided that you want to be rich is not going to put the money in your pocket. You have to love what you're doing, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I you, think... Money yeah. may... Certainly money's always a factor of, of, of life. I would wonder how many people have become millionaires doing jobs they hate. And I'll bet you not very many. Not too many. And, well, and, and, I know a lot of oh, professional class people that. aren't too happy doing what they're doing, and they're locked oh, into big mortgages No, no, but ultimate, ultimately... And I think, ultimately, too, you know, you, you, mis you miscount all of those who have been inherited it and who have just assumed something that was done before them. I mean, there are a lot of people who have worked very hard to become millionaires. There are a lot of well, people don't who that, haven't. Well, don't forget that an inheritance is a right passed on by the initial person who earned the money. So, so that's, that's his right to do with that money what he wants. But, but right. it is fairly statistically accurate that inherited money doesn't generally last longer than three generations in a family unless it's very carefully managed mm -hmm. or has already been taken out of the hands of the family and managed by an outside management firm. I'm sure so. it doesn't, because this, um, uh, just to, to finish, as this gentleman uh, uh, looked after his seven children, his father left and his mother was dying, and she said to him, don't ever let me hear you say it's God's will that we're poor. We're poor only because father has never developed a desire for anything else. And I think, you know, that goes hand in hand with the generational money, where, you know, it dies out after a couple of years because the desire of the of the the children or the grandchildren wasn't there of the person that created the wealth in the first place. And it does come down to, to desire. There's no two ways about it. Jack, thank you for the call today. Take care. Appreciate yeah. it. Jack. Well, it's about that time. And uh, we, have, uh, we have run out of time here. I'm sorry, folks, about that. Um, thank you, guys, for coming in. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz in for our regular...